Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Metacast by Novik, a podcast in which we explore the business and future of video games. I'm Aaron Bush, co-founder of Novik and your host today, and I'm delighted to be joined by Sophie Vo. Sophie is the founder of the Rise and Play podcast, which focuses on conscious leadership in gaming. She's a studio and game lead at Voodoo, and she's an, an investor in a bunch of startups across the gaming space. Sophie, thanks for joining. Hi, Aaron. Uh, very excited to be here. It's uh, also now I would say um, I'm not used to being a guest anymore since I've been hosting the podcast. So it's refreshing once in a while to be on the other side. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited to have you here. And today's conversation will center around real tactical advice for leaders to build and lead positive and effective cultures in their games teams. Um, but to set some context before we dive in, Sophie, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? What are the, what would you say are the highlights of your career so far, for example? And can you tell us um, in a bit more detail what you're up to right now? Sure. So I've been in the gaming industry. I, I've like now I, I still try to keep to count the years, just, you know, uh, I think the same people that I have, uh, as peers today, we have the same kind of age. It's a young industry. So I have 13 years in the industry and I started, uh, my career more on the production side, producer, product management, leading like production teams. And I would say over, uh, over my personal journey and career. So I also worked in different places in, uh, in France, uh, in Berlin, in Helsinki, and mostly in uh, companies, uh, free-to-play mobile game companies, such as Rovio, Wuga, and lately uh, Vodou. And uh, I think through my evolution, and that is also reflected in uh, the platform I created a year and a half ago with Rise and Play, focusing on conscious leadership practices um, with a podcast and uh, online masterclass is really my product approach has shifted from games. So I used to be very close to the product, uh, the product mindset into how to deliver the best game, best product towards uh, teams and human organizations. So I would say today I'm focused more, always still in games to um, uh, have, I would say the best approach, the best human systems when it comes to organization and teams to deliver the best games. So that's what I've been focusing on. And to the question, like what I'm up to lately, it's uh, very much related to this. So I've been like really also for my career trying to uh, narrow down even more what I'm great at and that uh, I often think, what can I be among the I would say top 5%, even top 1% in the industry that I'm capable of doing that can have a greater impact. And I've really found actually my path uh, into leadership of teams and thinking really in a methodical way, uh, how to approach teams and organizations. And I'm in a moment of transition as well, uh, where also I'm looking at what are my next steps and uh should it be building a, a new company, a new studio, or joining uh, forces with existing companies to really have an impact on the organizational level and uh, the culture of the organization? So I cannot say too much at the moment, but all I can say is I'm in a transition to, you know, see where I can be of the best uh, use and use at best my talent. Well, I can't wait to to hear what's next. Um, also, just to ensure we are aligned, because we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about what conscious leadership means in a company. Can you properly define conscious leadership for us? Like, are there 
any key tenets or principles that comprise conscious leadership in your view? Sure. So the key word here is uh, conscious. And in leadership, um, I would try to say it in a simple way. It's basically, you know, when you're in a leadership position, you uh, have a lot of decisions to make for yourself, for others, where do you go, the strategy, etc. And many of those decisions are uh, done uh, most of the time, I would say, um, from an unconscious origin, uh, could be emotional, you know, uh, source of what uh, lead you to make this decision, bias, uh, pressure, um, you know, so what, what can drive you to make the decision? So by conscious leadership is the decision you make as a leader, you know why you're doing it. So you have spent a bit of time to reflect and think of why you're doing this. So for example, when you select a strategy or you select to hire people, are you doing it out of a conscious place where you really ask yourself, you know why you're doing this or you just follow your guts, your instinct, and then you don't really know why and it might be actually a biased decision. So that's what's behind the principle of conscious leadership is every single decision of things you do or things you say, it comes from a conscious place. And we can go more in detail for our discussion today too. Uh, what does that mean in practice? Well, I think that's great, Sophie, um, to have that context and understand, um, you know, where leaders can come from, from a conscious perspective. Um, you know, as I, you know, was beginning my career in studying companies as an investor and helping build, um, you know, what was the last business I was a part of, um, we were very um, pro, the term was conscious capitalism, which I think is a bit different from what you're saying, but I think it ties in pretty well. So basically, you know, if you're building a company, you are capitalism um, in terms of um, your managing, you know, many stakeholders to build something that ultimately is self-sustainable. Um, and what makes conscious capitalism um, unique is that it's not just, the goal is not just to maximize profits and to maximize that one single stakeholder, but rather to take a balanced, like a balanced conscious approach to all of your stakeholders, which would be making sure that you're treating your employees as best you can, making sure you treat your suppliers as best you can, making sure you treat your community as best you can, and while also uh, obviously treating um, shareholders well too. But by treating everyone well, um, you can you could potentially in many ways win bigger and better than just maximizing one of those one of those avenues. And it really starts with conscious leadership. And I think how you just summed it up um, is very wise. And so let's for for most of this conversation, I think we're gonna dig into again, some of the tactical advice of what it, it really means to implement conscious leadership inside a business. And so I want to dig into some harder questions that come up when the world is chaotic and changes for pandemic, economic, industry-specific reasons. Uh, they happen in big ways. And so maybe one place to start um, is, you know, one huge side effect of the pandemic is that many teams don't work together in person anymore, or at least fully. And even though there's some debate about whether in-person or remote work is preferred, in reality, the world is never going fully back to the way it was. Remote work and even some hybrid workplaces are here to stay. Um, I work remotely. There's obvious positives to that. But like many teams, it's harder to build meaningful connections and to quickly build trust uh, when apart and often apart in different time zones. So Sophie, 
what is your tactical advice to teams who are in this position? How how can we better speed up building trust and building meaningful connections when teammates are are scattered everywhere? Yeah, so this is, uh, I think, one of the, the main topic I've heard through many, many conversations, uh, because this is a reality uh, that expectation also from people in the workplace to have more of this flexibility to work, you know, uh, from home or different places at, at different times. I think this is important to uh, put this into the context. And like you said, I, I, I highly doubt that it will go back to, it's like there's only one way it's forward. So it will evolve uh, maybe closer to what we used to know a few years from now, but it, it will not go back to the way uh, it was. And so when it comes to uh, building trust and in a team and uh, connections in a team, I think it's important to understand first the context of, again, why does it matter? Why do you want to create trust? And if we look at an existing organization that managed to build trust before a pandemic or during and we found solution to build it, I think it is less of a challenge to then be flexible, work remote, because the trust is established and uh, you, you have uh, learned how to work with a setup. Um, I think where it's more challenging is when you are building, for example, a new venture, a company, a studio. And um, let's uh, take a concrete example here where you're a team of co-founders, for example, who've not really uh, known each other, haven't really met uh, a lot in, in life. And then you are to build this new venture. There are so many questions you have to address to solve. Uh, not to mention as well, how uh, do you go through the conflicts and disagree? So all those uh, little things that actually matter when you need to have very productive conversation are built with trust. And I, f I would say it is difficult to build it uh, fully remotely. So uh, I would say instead of a debate of, okay, should it be remote and uh, fully on site? I think it's here, what creates trust? Um, among humans and in the workplace. And um, I like, uh, I have uh, used some references from, uh, so there's a tech talk from Francis Frey uh, about the pillars of how you create trust uh, or rebuild trust. And it was really interesting. It was approaching the topic uh, with um, a framework. And uh, I, I really like frameworks because it gives structure in how you can approach it. And she was uh, talking about those three pillars of one is empathy, so can you understand, uh, be feel in the shoes of the other person, what they're about and so on. Uh, the other one is, um, if I recall correctly, is um, understanding the logic of the other person. So how they think, how they make decision. And those things, are, of course, develop over time. And uh, I think the last one was around more uh, caring that you have trust or you believe that the other one cares about you. And so those, let's let's take, for example, those three pillars and um, how do, do those things develop? They develop with time you spend with a person. And how do you get to know someone? Well, you get to know someone through work, but you get to know someone as well through non-work. So non-work topics. Uh, how do they, you know, how do they treat friends? How do they 
Even sometimes you can go out for a drink and how do they treat the staff? It's like you see so much, so much uh, from a person, but it's just spending a bit of time with them. Um, how do they talk about their personal life? What do they do in their personal life? So I would say what's important to speed up uh, the trust is more meaningful time and moment you spend with a person instead of like more uh, of a, qu a quantity. So you have to spend every day of the week working together in a studio. I would say it's more of the intensity and the depth of the moment you spend. So this can be solved if you are a remote team to do uh, offsite or make sure you spend a few days together, especially at the beginning where you spend time at work, but also out of work going out for dinner, maybe, maybe meeting some uh, relatives, uh, you know, of, uh, of uh, the, the key, I would say, team member that should work together just to have a grasp of what the person is about. Um, so that helps. And I think also of something, so this is more for the personal interaction. And there's another part that is, I would say, more on the Mm, psychological level, which I have tried uh, also in workshops, especially at the beginning, is you can do those workshops facilitated by a coach. And for example, we went really deep into sharing our personal journey. So we, for example, as team members, we uh, were drawing our timeline. I don't know if you've ever done that kind of workshop or a, no. uh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's an exercise you do a lot in coaching as well. So you draw your timeline and you uh, draw the intensity of positive and negative experience and what were the highlights, uh, the events that uh, uh, triggered a positive memory or a negative memory. And we were doing this exercise as a team in small groups. And then we had to share our journey and our timeline to uh, each other. So for example, uh, when you understand the psychological, emotional journey of a person, they had to mention when they went through divorce or they went through depression or they had, they went through therapy. And it's very vulnerable exercise where you share with a lot of trust, a lot of openness where you understand I'm not dealing here with just a worker. I'm dealing here with a human who had their own experience, uh, their own baggages and it's part of them, right? So sometimes also understanding as well what the person are about not just as a professional, but as a whole, it allows you to give, uh, to have more empathy in moments where sometimes you have disagreement and a person is just like, I don't know, uh, uh, like completely, um, uh, I don't know, having a nervous breakdown or really uh, renting. And, and then you understand, well, there may be in a phase that personally is affecting as well how they're communicating. So of course it, it doesn't make an excuse, but you can understand and start a conversation from there. It's like, hey, look, the way you communicate is affecting others and it is creates anxiety. I understand where you're at, but we need to do something about it. But how can we help each other? What do you need? You know, so this is also what creates trust to understand the wholeness of people and not just their uh professional uh, face or public face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all great. And I wish I talked to you a year or two ago, because um, at even just from my own experience at Novik, uh, we're actually having our, our first offsite um, at Gamescom uh, this, I guess, in a month from now. And um, it's crazy because I have yet to meet anybody on the team in person. And there are weird like COVID, you know, complications that, uh, kind of made that, you know, have to be the reality where offsites weren't possible. But we, we've started joking that our our first offsite is actually more like our first onsite 
uh, where we can, you know, it's the first time that we'll <laughs> actually be able to spend that kind of time with each other. But, um, but yeah, I think everything you said makes a lot of sense. From my experience, uh, this this didn't help necessarily in speeding up and coming to to, to trust and collaboration quickly. But um, part of what helped us at at Novik from not having met anybody in person is just being able to do like projects, like kind of like test projects with people over over some period of time, and then through that, you know, you try to build the social camaraderie that comes with it, so that you can learn a lot about how a person works and just who they are as a person. It's definitely um, imperfect, especially compared to, to some of the examples you were saying about how you can have workshops with coaches and all, and all of that. But, uh, thought I would, I would just throw that out there. Um, one, one quick tangential thing to this, um, you know, some, some workplaces are also becoming hybrid, um, which kind of comes with its own pitfalls. And I was just going to ask you quickly, um, you know, if you wanted to mention any pitfalls or things to be aware of when, having a culture that is hybrid. How do you manage that well as a leader? Well, I think the common mistake is to think that uh, you can apply the same principles and the same approach uh, while you were on site to when you are working remotely, right? So um, I give an example. For example, uh, when you go in meetings, or when you used to go in meetings and meet people face to face, uh, the appearance, the first impression or how you appear in a meeting, uh, the time to talk are things you pay attention to in a meeting. Those things get a little lost when you are uh, in remote. But I think the same thinking can apply here where uh, in the end, uh, what's your identity um, when you are working uh, mostly remote and behind a screen? So it's your top part of the body, right? So your face actually has even more uh, emphasis. So usually you, you check the body language when you deal with someone, you look at what they're doing, how they're walking, how they're laughing. You know, you, you can observe them the whole day to have a sense of a person. Here, it is very concentrated in this, those little moments like we are having today. You see the top part and you see my face. So little things is, uh, let's say you want to connect with other team members and then you're just having like a close face all the time. Uh, you're not really like looking at the camera and you're looking somewhere else or giving the impression that you're not really listening or actively listening. Those things actually matter and people notice and people sense it. So especially in a position of leadership, when you want to connect um, with your reports or even connect with anyone in the team, you have to be doubly conscious about how you appear in uh, a call. And are, are you really here? Does the person feel that you're listening here or are you, are you not uh, here? So I think, uh, for example, those are some traps where we think, you know, we can just uh, uh, be the same as before. And um, I would say as well, how uh, rethink as well, how can you create those moments, although it's online, to create those connections. It's not because you are not in the same city that you cannot have those moments. So planning for it. And at the beginning, it is a bit artificial. So let's say you want to organize an online team event or after work drink. And I, I think we have many of those anyway during COVID, but it, it is a bit silly when you think about it, but it's not that much because it's, it becomes a habit. So keeping those rituals where people can connect, and um, be creative about how people can connect online. We, we've done a lot of online uh, games actually uh, together as a team or even something we, uh, we call it, uh, I think it was uh, MTV Crips 
where we were showing our apartment <laughs> and uh, t- taking the laptop and going all around to show like, okay, this is my cat tree or this is whatever I'm passionate about, you know. So being creative and connecting. So again, applying the same principles, what do we need when we are a team and how do we translate this in a setup where we remote? Right. Um, so pandemic and even economic influences can um, extend beyond changing just where people work. And it can also lead to uncertainty around restructuring and layoffs and companies just having to make hard decisions as they go through hard times. So in these times, how should leaders best communicate? And this question is actually quite close to heart for me. So uh, it is something that has been a lot in my mind over time, I have to say. Uh, uh, during during the time building the new studio, the new casual studio at Vodou. Uh, because, um, so there are two layers of it, uh, where one one is that as a new business, the new venture inside the organization, you are a bit disconnected from the leadership. So there's always a feeling, a sense uh, as your own uh, unit. So we, are, we were our own unit in Berlin, that you don't really know or have a sense of what's happening on a leadership level. And Maybe there are things, a discussion happening that, you know, you learn next week. Okay. This is over. We have to close your studio. So this, this was a, a bit of a, uh, I'd say paranoia, but a thought that was always in the background of, uh, of my thoughts because it, it was a possibility that it could happen. And, um, there's also the reality as we have seen recently with many layoffs and, uh, you know, um, refocusing the core business or some organization that a lot of studio uh, closed and quickly. So it there's it, it a reality and it happened. So what I would say here is um, something I've been really um, conscious about, and this is where I use again the word, is uh, to be transparent with the team. And that was a, a subtle art and balance of communication with a team where how much do I share and how much do I keep, right? So there's the concrete information of where we are and there's what are my projections and what I think might happen, but it is not necessarily a reality. So what I, I made sure of over time was really to share what's the situation, how much do we cost as a studio? I know the reality of how much, uh, for example, when uh, Vodou was raising uh, uh, rounds you know, of investment, well, to talk about this and give the context, like what does that mean for us, for our team? Uh, what is the, you know, the level of funding in our team and how much time, let's say, as a team do we have with expected results? Of course, I, I, I didn't know if it was matching a reality, what were the expectations, but that was also my responsibility, communication upward to always make sure that the expectations uh, we were aligned and what was expected of us. So I think there's here a part where are we matching uh, the expectations towards our stakeholders or investors? And if we are a bit borderline as a team, and it's not to say here to blame our work only, and you know, it's it's just tough, uh, new games and development, and you also sometimes tight if you are part of an organization of the strategy. So you're doing your best in in this box, and you know as well when you're doing well in this box and you know sometimes where you're doing borderline. And I think it's important as a team to be aware where you stand. And so I often uh, uh, told my team, this is the reality. And I shared very openly my plan over time. What would we do? What would I do if that happens? So to give a concrete example here again, 
uh, what would we do as a team? We should always, you know, uh, be critical of what we're doing when uh, metrics uh, are not met. We should be critical of uh, pivoting or killing already uh, the game, which we have done actually at multiple occasions during our lifetime. But also, I share very transparently what would I do if our studio would close and what would be my attempt. So I, I will always talk about our teams outside of your organization, for example, or um, I'm very connected to this of that network of investors and so on. So it, 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 I wouldn't say it gave a reassurance for the team, but it gave them an outlook that this is part of our reality. You choose to be in game development, it's wild, it's it's uh, risky, especially in some organization. And uh, uh, the studio coming to an end doesn't mean it's an end for us as a team or as a group. So that also gave a bit of a linearity for people to think uh, you know, uh, instead of thinking in a binary way, it's like, oh, if uh, it's shut down, it's over. And then uh, f having this anxious thought every day. So it's also about building the resilience of the team. This is business. And then, you know, it's uh, it's not the end of the world. There are solutions uh, if that happens. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes change might not happen at just a game or studio level, but needs to happen at a personal level too. Um, so Sophie... What have you learned about approaching letting someone go? And from a, a team composition standpoint, why is it sometimes important to do? So having talked to uh, quite uh, now many, many founders, uh, team leaders about this topic, it's I think it's the hardest one that, especially when uh, in, in the group of conversation I have around conscious leadership, it's very human centric. You know, we care about the people. And then we have, I think we have a tendency to, um, mix that because we care and from the moment we part away with someone, we don't care. And that's actually not true. Um, so the way I approach it, approach like letting go is like basically really in the end parting ways with someone is first uh, looking at the team composition and um, following closely the team growth and performance over time and uh, following also up on uh, how individuals feel in the group. So checking having a close pulse with the team and also the development of individuals in this system. And when you see, uh, so it's important to start with a system where you have clear expectation for people on results, expected outcome, and to follow up on those outcomes, to have regular conversation one-on-one. -on -one. And when those expectations or outcomes are not met, the person should be aware, right? So it's, uh, I think this is where the conversation starts. And, here, I would say the work of uh, coaching and developing people really starts where you try to inquire why is it not happening? Um, is it something failing on the leadership side? Like uh, we are not clear about the objectives, what, what is expected from you? How can we clarify this? Or could be on a motivation level. So I use a matrix that I called uh, leadership matrix. I get that from the book, uh, Lead Inside the Box, that I really like. But basically it's a matrix with four boxes and you have in the top right, exemplars, uh, people. And then you have in the other boxes, uh, I think you have um, high cost, uh, high cost people. 
And I explain quickly what it is about. And one is uh, passengers and the last one is detractors. And so it's important as a team lead to understand where people are in this matrix and why. And what I like about this matrix is not to put people in boxes to say you're a low performer, whatever detractor, and you will stay there for the rest of your life. It's, it's not about that. There are phases. And then you understand that people could, uh, and, and what's on the scale is like, People who cost um, what I uh, leadership capital, so they need a lot of your attention as a lead, and uh, people who have a high output or low output. So detractors basically are on the low output and high leadership capital uh, scale. So when you see with some individuals in the team that it is happening, so they cost a lot of your attention, energy, and they are not pre like they don't have a, a big output. You try to understand why. And there are usually two reasons. One is a uh, motivation mismatch. So what they are doing is not aligned with what they like to do. So they are not so energized and motivated, but it, it's an inquiring discussion to understand if it's really happening. And it takes trust for people to admit that they are not so motivated by what they are doing. Or it could be also a skill gap, right? So people don't have uh, the right tools or the right skills at the moment to be able to do the job that is expected of them. So then you have several actions, right? You can support, help, coach, train, grow them to be where they need to be. Or then you can, for the motivation, try to redirect. Uh, can we reassign the person on another position? Or sometimes this, uh, this is where the conversation goes. Like, is this still a right uh, match for the two of us, right? So it's a conversation. And those conversations, when we start to see there's a gap, whether it's skills or motivation, they take six months. And what I do with everyone when we start to have those doubts is like, let's let's have a plan of what is expected. And you agree on this plan, you make the plan. And let's check in three months and then six months. And at six months, we see, okay, it didn't go anywhere, but maybe that's the way to be. And so there's no surprises at this point we part ways in a professional way. And, and then usually people admit by themselves, but from my experience, but the, the heart is not there anymore for them and it's better, right, to, to leave. So accompanying them as well to leave, uh, transition and sometimes help even to find someone. Um, and, and I think for the second part of the question you were asking about um, how I am, why and it, it affects the rest of the team. And so when you, again, it comes uh, down to culture. A culture is about the behaviors, not only of the leaders, but everyone in the team and the people who are really the ambassadors, the drivers of a culture. So when you have uh, people uh, showing inconsistent behavior in the culture, let's say they do the opposite and they are accepted and they still are in their role, even worse if they are in a leading position, it sends the message um, about the culture that is inconsistent. And then whoever is also part of uh, the organization. It's not sure, it's like, okay, so we have someone who's very aggressive in communication and while we say in the culture, like we will be always respectful. So in the end, this person is super aggressive and they are still here. So in the end, it's okay to be aggressive in communication in the culture. So to live really the culture, you have also to either calibrate the behavior of people to represent the culture or sometimes part ways with people who are opposite to the culture you want to have. And this is where the effect is because the ones who really embrace the culture, they will be demotivated at some point or affected in a negative way by the ones who are not really uh, leaving the values of a, of a team. That's all very well said. Um, and related, I, I saw on your website, I read something about building anti-fragile teams, and that was really interesting to me. So I'd love for you to 
explain what that means and how you actually build that as a leader inside of a company? Yeah, so for the context, uh, how I, I got this concept and this word was from uh, the book Anti-Fragile Anti and uh, written by the economist. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and so I was really inspired about like, I think a lot of about teams uh, with systems, you know, uh, system thinking. And so I felt like, hmm, oh, how could it look uh, if I apply the same thinking to a team and actually... Uh, when I think of uh, games as an industry and ecosystem, it is, uh, you know, very, um, could be erratic, uh, unpredictable, market, etc. So how do you build a team that could be interfragile? And so what's the definition of interfragile is opposite to something that is, uh, as you have seen uh, read in the book as well, uh, robust or fragile. It's uh, something interfragile gets uh, stronger uh, as it uh, goes through, you know, um, hurdles, challenges, and uh, it transforms. So, for example, um, an immunity system, Im uh, immune system of a body is antifragile, right? It gets, uh, and that's also when you think of uh, economics as well, there are systems that are antifragile. So what it means for a team, I was thinking like, what kind of culture and a uh, type of people does it need in the team where by uh, the mindset they would actually grow by the hurdles where we would kill uh, a game or sometimes we lose people or sometimes we are close to shut down the studio or sometimes we are really short in uh, budget and you know we don't know if tomorrow exists and some uh, teams will uh, be destroyed by uh, those kind of events because they are either fragile or maybe they have been trained to be just robust to external events and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just uh, resist to those events, but will not transform. So I, I really wanted to build a team that would love those challenges and will grow from this because I know this reality in games, especially when you go for new ventures and, and, and try to, you know, innovate, evolve, you will always have hard things. You will ha always have hard times and you will have to change uh, along the way. So. It comes down also to individuals. And I, I would say the main important thing is really the growth mindset. Do, and I, that's how I build the team. Like, do they love to learn and are they willing to, to change and learn and evolve uh, because they, that's, that's the path that we're taking. And the ones who uh, wanted, and I have experienced this as well in teams, security, predictability, it, it, it was very difficult because it's not something I could promise. And I could see for them, it created a lot of anxiety. So it, it was not fun on bo both sides, right? So that's what I think of about anti-fragile teams. And when I think of uh, per perseverance and how, uh, let's say, hits or success happened, it's about perseverance where you will iterate long enough and uh, to uh, get better, grow and learn as a team to eventually reach whatever you aim as a success. Um, and a concept that uh, when it comes to really uh, iterating and, and persevering, I like to think about the infinite game. You know, it's it's uh, not about winning the game because it ends. So there's no game to win. It's about staying in the game. And that's the mindset as well about an anti-fragile team. You want to stay in the game. And what does it take to stay in the game? Like be, remain the core of the team. Uh, you know, survive financially, et cetera. Makes sense. Um, and there is actually, before I, I go to the next question, I, I just want to say, Sophie, it seems like you are, um, 
very well read on a, a lot of books that have influenced how you think. Um, uh, I'd love to hear maybe if could you list out maybe like three to five books that you've read that influenced how you think as a, a leader positively. And I'd love to, I'll include it down in the, the show notes too. So I'll, I'll take notes of what you say. Yeah. Uh, and I had some time to think a bit about it because I don't know for some reason other people asked me this question recently. So I mentioned as well the same. So one that really uh, changed my, my mindset or gave a lot of structure about uh, conscious leadership is also the book has conscious leadership. It's 15 commitments of, uh, I think, uh, conscious leadership. Uh, I think the exact, uh, let me just double check, 15 commitments of conscious, yes. So, and in the book, what I, I loved about it is like, as a leader, we tend to think like it's a lot about the tactical thing, like you are have a plan, have a strategy, na na na. Here it's uh, about being whole, like be aware of your emotions, be, uh, you know, embrace the unpredictability. So it, there's a bit of, I would say almost a bit of a spirituality as a leader and how you can approach those things, but you are really uh, embracing kind of a world and what happens to you and really be aware of how you react to this world and owning a lot of your own emotions, be aware of them and owning your emotions and your actions instead of being in the in the mindset of being a victim of the system, right? And so that completely changed the mindset because once you take charge of your life and you are owning many things, then... It changes a lot of how you appear, you know, how you change things and so on. And, and it helps you evolve and, and grow a lot. So this book about leadership and one that really also um, inspired me a lot about culture building as I have uh, those conversations these days about how do you build a culture? And I've seen in, in gaming, it has been treated as a, a side topic, you know, it's like, let's have a people department and let's have a culture. And then, when you, you know, it's like you put it on top and then hope that it will happen. And in uh, this book, it's called Fusion, Brand and Culture. It's uh, by Denise Leon. And she's explaining how much culture is the strategy. It is not something on the side or you do after once you have uh, your company. It is part of everything you do, whether you want it or not. And uh, when you want to build a company that is very deep and strong in the brand and it, it's value in its way of working, um, she really breaks down in all the layers of her organization how a culture exists. So that's also what changed my mindset about culture. And when I have those conversations, like, okay, it should be in the people team. No, it's in everything you do, even the games you make and how you appear to players, your marketing messages, everything. And uh, maybe a book for a first that is uh, maybe different in leadership. Um, yes, I think one that has uh, been also quite a big a transition point during especially the COVID for me. I, I've read a lot actually during uh, more than usual during that time was The Daily Stoic uh, from Ryan Holiday. And I was reading uh, uh, diligently every day, the daily stoic. So it is designed to read over a year. And so I read, I, I, I made a challenge for myself. I will uh, follow the design of a book by reading one line of philosophy every morning for one year. And I did it. And I can say it has transformed quite a lot. So my mindset about many things, and it's back also to what I said about the first book of about conscious leadership, like uh, in, in, the, in the stoic man, mindset, there are a lot of things happened towards you and 
either you are a victim of all these events or you take more charge and you own, uh, you know, what's happening inside you, how you perceive things and how you react to things. And what I loved about the stoic mindset, mindset is really gives a, um, a stability in what you should focus. There's so many things you can try to solve at the end of the day and having awareness of what you can control, which is mostly you, your perception and your action and letting go of the things you don't control was a big relief and a way for me to uh, handle and lead many things. That's why people ask sometimes, how do I do all, all that I'm doing uh, with a full-time job and podcast and everything? It's with a stoic mindset. I A lot of things happen by itself. I don't have control on them, but I control a certain input. Uh, and then that's also changed a lot of my approach into work and life. Awesome. Those are all great. Thank you so much, Sophie. Let's switch gears a little bit um, in our final 15 or so minutes together. So there's you know, a common saying in business, you get what you measure. And if you're trying to improve your culture, your leadership, your team's performance, how do you decide what to focus on and measure any progress, whether it's surveys or a coaching system or executive incentives aligned with some metric? What more quantitative systems or approaches have you seen uh, work well in companies? So I wish I could give you a concrete uh, answer about this, but I think there are still to be done and experimented to have a bit more a more quantitative measure of how do you measure a team performance or culture right because the way it has been addressed like, like i said so far it's been a side thing so for example when you look at um hr organization uh, you don't uh, nobody talks about accountability or metrics of how it impacts the business it is like okay how many people were hired are the people satisfied in the company but it's never tied to business impact and i think this is personally coming from game development this is where the disconnection is because in the end you don't be an, an organization just to have people being happy and, and being there and just happy no people are happy and fulfilled by achieving something also together as a group with collaboration connecting with others solving uh, complex problems and also having an impact right so you create a value at the end of the day so i can share some ideas of what i how i would approach it and i am I'm, I'm, that's why in the transition i'm thinking as well how uh, how could we rethink a bit organizations when we incorporate more culture and team performance? But what I look at again, it's uh, how a system gets better over time. So when you think of uh, culture and team performance and a uh, business impact, over time, your business will grow. It's, it's not only revenues, but do you get better as a team and an organization? It could be, for example, velocity of sprints or, uh, you know, uh, uh, like number of uh, mistakes done or the number of tasks done over a sprint. So this is what I, I look at where if you have a well-functioning team and a healthy culture, you can look at also um, production performance. Although uh, people in charge of culture and organization cannot be directly responsible for the game's KPI, but you can look at how people are doing things. And you can, of course, put the factor of satisfaction. Are people fulfilled? Uh, you know, do they have clarity on what they're doing? So that's also a metric I would look at. If I have 50% per pe of people who survey, for example, who say they don't understand the vision, this is not a good sign, like, because you have to understand what you're doing if you want to, of course, perform better. And, uh, the other, I would say, signal is the churn as well. 
Do you have an half year organization or do you have 50% of your staff that is churning after six months? It's not a very good sign as well of a health organization. So you can look at different factors, which are retention of, uh, you know, people in the organization, but also, uh, what I call team growth, like how the team as a unit is getting better over time or are very, you know, like uh, deprecating because they are losing people and so on. So there are ways, creative ways, I think, to define it, but it's still for me to be done. Uh, because so far it's been so disconnected from uh, game development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, so today we've talked a lot about ideas and principles and tactics, but can you share any examples of companies or leaders who really stand out on a conscious leadership standpoint to you? Uh, I'm just curious to hear, um, who, just see who we should be paying attention to, what do they do that's so great, and maybe how we can think about replicating some of that success. Yeah, so I mentioned some example out of games first and then in games. So out of games as well, I've, I've looked at uh, Patagonia, for example, and I actually have uh, learned more about the type of uh, leadership and culture through the book uh, Reinventing Organization. Also great book about rethinking as well, uh, you know, work and uh, dream places where uh, there's the highest form of organization, which is called Teal Organization, where really there's ownership, uh, accountability from employees of the organization, and it's very mission-driven. And Patagonia exists, not for profit, but to really make the world a better place, like more ecologically and, and a lot uh, in the behavior and in the behavior of uh, the founder and CEO are reflected, uh, reflecting those values. So that was very inspiring to see at, again, back to cultural leave at all the levels. And you can, for example, in Patagonia, you can recycle things you bought and they take care of it and can uh, recycle them to create new products out of it. So they are living really their mission at all the levels and even in the interaction with consumers. So as consumer, you buy really what the company stands for. Other companies that also were inspiring more in like how they define and you can see they have a very strong culture. And that doesn't mean that I agree with that culture, but uh, first having a very strong culture, I think it's a, an achievement. Uh, it's, for example, Netflix. They've been very visible also about their culture uh, with their books. And uh, it's a culture of uh, ownership and responsibility. And I think they inspired a lot of companies to follow same similar principle. But they are really also, they have a strong culture that believe at all the layers of the organization. So a very, very performance-driven and consumer-driven. And it's not about creating a family place or a happy place. It's really you're here to create entertainment and perform, right? So uh, it's very clear for who wants to join, who's suitable. So uh, that that kind of uh, commitment in creating culture, I, I really uh, admire. And uh, other companies like Airbnb and Disney for the same reason, strong positioning, strong culture, and a very strong clarity about their values. So example uh, in games now, and uh, some you may know, some you know, uh, may not know, but for example, I've been also in contact with uh, founders of Lightheart Entertainment, and they were also following, uh, we, we talked actually uh, with founders about their inspiration of organization with the tier organization in uh, reinventing organization book. And I, I, I think they really apply that small scale, really this, this mindset and principle of this very flat organization and shared ownership. And it, I think it works on a small scale. It is a challenge, of course, to scale this kind of culture, but they, uh, it is inspiring to see an attempt there. Uh, Supercell as well, 
very strong culture and a very visible uh, CEO as well, founder, uh, sharing about the values and living those values. And I want to mention also uh, Cam, who's also a friend and a founder of Pixion Games and also very conscious, once again, about the culture he wanted to implement and sometimes took hard decisions, but has always been consistent in his values and what he stood for. And uh, this is the kind of leadership I admire. Sometimes you take the hard decision to, uh, you know, have full integrity, but uh, that means sometimes you have to make hard decision and, you know, sacrifice certain things of, uh, you know, on a personal level and so on. So those are the things that come to my mind. Those are great. Uh, before we wrap up, Sophie, uh, we've talked about your perspectives as a leader inside companies, but I kind of want to uh, switch the perspective up. Put you can put your investor hat on, uh, which I know you've invested um, in several in several gaming startups. And I'm curious, how do you spot conscious leadership in the earliest stages? And you know, as an investor, is that something that you focus on at all? So I would say, in general, as an investor, I invest first and foremost in uh, founders and teams. I, games are just uh, a way to understand how they approach games and, you know, what, uh, like the concreteness or of, of how they approach a company, but uh, it's not in games that I invest because they come and go. So, um, in the way I invest, of course, uh, I have a certain budget, so I, I cannot invest in all the ideas. So I, I choose very also consciously who I uh, invest uh, in and, what I've seen, example, and it's also a company I've invested in, uh, it's uh, called Tailwind and uh, building the metaverse and uh, in, uh, in Roblox uh, universe. And in their deck, for example, they actually dedicated some slides about how they will run the organization and the team and why they exist. So just having a slide about why they exist, to me, at least resonates with me because there's a lot of deep thinking and thinking through we don't exist just because we want to make a game. We want to uh, be this kind of organization that will approach work this way, or we will create something that will impact players, humans this way. And something, for example, that they put immediately in their deck was we will go for the four uh, day um, work week, you know, and how they will, why they care about this and how they would apply this. And this is really also touched me because Usually in the deck, you have all these things about uh, prospect, financial prospect and so on. And everybody is playing the same game. And it's like, wow, uh, the fact that they dedicated some slides about it, that means also a fewer slides for other things, you know, that puts actually the priority of what they are about. And I believe in the long run, like, uh, you know, um, of those companies, and you can see in the deck of some companies, they are really thinking long-term and also about the people they will onboard and, and how you know they will create this long-term vision. Awesome. And uh, just a quick follow-up. Uh, what do you think are the most important things entrepreneurs in the earliest stages can do to set their cultures and leadership abilities up for long-term success? So the I've seen the, also this is one of the traps or uh, I would say uh, human bias, we think like when we start, we have to race, race, race and, uh, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. Yes, we do. Um, but uh, I think of efficiency as well. When you don't have a clear vision yet of what you're doing and with who, you're hustling, hustling, and then you have to undo it and redo it uh, several times. So it's not so efficient. So my advice is really sometimes you think you're wasting time by taking it slow. And I know it's counterintuitive when you have to get started quickly. Uh, but 
taking it slow to really, really understand again why you're building a company. Because there will be, and I, I'm going through this process as well as I'm evaluating with, uh, you know, former people of, uh, uh, my studio. Why are we a group? Why do we exist? Because there will be many hurdles and sacrifice you will have to do to build your company. And when you wake up every day where we have this uh, big energy and passion to do what you care about, then you will do it. But if you don't care, then it will be a struggle along the way. So that's also where when the heart is not there in a company in the long run, from the moment you have those uh, difficulties, it is a signal that you may not be doing what you really want to do, right? And it's the same how you uh, select co-founders. So I would really test for a certain period of time, is it really what you want to do and why and with who? That's that's a great answer. Um, well, I think we should probably wrap up now. But Sophie, this has been a really phenomenal conversation. Um, very last short question for you. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your ideas or connect? So my main channel is LinkedIn. So they can just uh, type my name and find me on LinkedIn. And um, what I'm building with Rise in Play, it's really an ongoing conversation with uh, leaders of industry and people who really uh, see opportunities of change, of evolving and, uh, you know, make it also more healthy in the long run. So I'm, I'm really also looking forward to having more conversation with other leaders and joining the movement with Rise and Play. Awesome. Well, Sophie, thank you again for joining me today. I can't wait for everybody to get to listen to this episode and also hopefully read some of the books that you threw out too and implement some of the, the practices that you called out. And I think we all can improve by and listen, by listening to what you have to say. So to all of our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to give us a like, subscribe, five stars. It would mean a lot. Also make sure to check out our free newsletter, Novic Digest. And if you want extra premium research like weekly game deconstructions and market updates, check out Novic Pro. Links and discount codes for all of that, as well as all of the details of today's conversation with Sophie. All of that is in the description. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.